you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Judges chapter 9, Brother Tim is out today. I got a text from him about 6 this morning. Um, he gets migraine headaches uh, from time to time, and uh, a lot of times with him, if they get real bad, uh, it affects the stomach. So he was up all night long uh, with the migraine and throwing up, and as of 8 o'clock this morning, he said, it's just not going to happen. Uh, so please pray for him. Anybody here suffer from migraines? Yeah, I've had them so bad that I've prayed that God would take me to heaven. Uh, they hurt that bad. So uh, it, just keep him in your prayers, please. A lot of things that are going on in the next few weeks. Um, as I mentioned, tomorrow morning begins the asbestos uh, abatement. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, several weeks ago, we voted to install a new boiler uh, for the church in the heating system. Um, and the old one was put in decades and decades ago, and everything's encased in asbestos, and all of that has to be removed. Because of that, beginning tomorrow morning, the whole school wing is going to be closed off. Uh, nobody's going to be allowed in there, uh, and that'll be that way for 10 days while that process goes on. So we have to make a few adjustments uh, along the way. This part of the building is fine. Everything will be safe uh, and so forth. Uh, so next, uh, next Sunday, we're not going to have any Sunday school. We'll be sending out a church text to everybody as a reminder. We'll put it up on the church Facebook page. We'll have an 11 o'clock service. We're going to have a tent out back uh, where we had the picnic last week, a smaller tent with sides on it. And uh, we're going to have a combined children's service out there. They're going to think it's cool, uh, you know church under the circus tent, that type of thing. Uh, so there'll be an 11 o'clock service and a six o'clock service next Sunday. Uh, Wednesday, when you come in, uh, we'll have all the kids and adults in here. There won't be a children's service, Patch the Pirate or anything like that uh, for the next two Wednesday nights. So a little bit of adjustments that we need to make. Uh, it's all for a good purpose. It'll be nice to have uh, the new boiler in uh, and uh, that, that'll just be a, a real blessing to us. So just sort of a heads up. You have an insert in your bulletin that will be handed out a little later today with some of the details about things. Uh, so just uh, be a part of it. Uh, we'll have folks here sort of directing traffic a little bit. And I know change is not always easy, like the whole chair thing and, you know, teasing about that. Uh, but uh, let's not let it affect our spirit. Uh, let's not let it affect our attendance or anything like that. Let's just let's have fun with it. It'll be good. Uh, it'll be fun, and so uh, uh, be be ready for that next Sunday night. In spite of uh, the changes we have, we were gonna, we have a tour group uh, from Hiles Anderson College. That's where I went to college. Brother Rob, uh, Miss Ann, and some others, and so forth. Uh, and they send out uh, singing groups through the course of the summer. And for many many years, we've had them come in here. Uh, so they'll be here for next Sunday evening service. There will be a, it'll some great music. And Pastor John Wilkerson of the First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, will be with them, and he'll be preaching next Sunday night. So you want to make sure that you're here, you're back, you're a part of that. Bring somebody with you. Uh, that'll be a blessing. And then the following Sunday... Everything should be back to normal, including the chairs, okay? Um, and uh, we will have Father's Day. And uh, we, have a, we have a gift. Uh, I think the fathers are going to enjoy. It'll be a day to honor our dads. So a lot of good things that are coming down the pike, and I hope that you plan to be here uh, and be a part of those. Did we find Judges chapter 9 yet? Okay, I want you to 
mark that, and I want you to turn to the book of Galatians for a moment. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. There is a Bible truth that is presented for us here in verse number 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Bible principle, be not deceived, God is not mocked. We live in a world where the mockery of God is a sport. It, it's, it's like that's the thing to do. Uh, I was telling someone this morning that I uh, spent about three minutes looking at Facebook this morning, and uh, someone that I know that was raised in an independent Bible-believing Baptist church, uh, on their Facebook page this morning, had a some kind of, a, I think you call them a meme or something like that, with rainbow heart, rainbow flags, saying to all of you homophobes out there, I hope you have the most uncomfortable month of June ever. This is Pride Month. This is someone who claims to be a born-again Christian who posted that. Um, the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Um, you can try it. You, you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, think whatever you want. But in the end, God's word will prevail. Okay? So there's a stern warning put out there. But there's also in that, there is a promise. The Bible says, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And he, he contrasts, he said, that person that sows to the flesh, they just do what they want to do. They do what feels good. They do what the world says. They do what the crowd says. Shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. It's not going to turn out well. It's just not. God is not mocked. Uh, but he also says, here's where the promise is, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You live for God. You love the Lord. You honor God, and it's eternal, that which you do. There are blessings forever on that. So we have this Bible principle. We sometimes refer to it as the law of sowing and reaping. Everybody okay? Say, what's that got to do with the book of Judges? It has everything to do with the book of Judges, especially chapter 9. Let's go back there now. Brother Tim has been teaching us extremely well, I believe, about the life of Abimelech. We learned of Gideon, the man of faith, a man who uh, took a, an army of 32,000 and God whittled it down to 300. And they went out and God used that situation to defeat the army of the Midianites in a decisive way. Uh, when the people tried to make Gideon the king, he said, no, I'm not going to be your king, neither my sons or my son's sons. The Lord is your king. He's the one that reigns over you. Gideon had how many sons? He had 70 sons. He also had, in addition to them, the Bible says he had many wives. He had an illegitimate son that was born to one of his servants, uh, and that man's name was Abimelech. Uh, we read about him, if you would please, chapter 8 and verse 
Let's go to verse 29. Jerobel, that's another name for Gideon, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son whose name he called Abimelech. So he's got 70 legitimate sons and one that's not. By the way, it was not Abimelech's fault um, for his background or anything like that. Uh, that, that, that doesn't automatically make Abimelech a bad guy or anything like that. Abimelech's choices did that for him. Okay, please make sure that we understand that. Um, Gideon dies, and uh, we learned in chapter 1 that uh, Abimelech came up with a plan. Verse 1, Abimelech, the son of Jerobel, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren, his hometown, and communed with them with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem, whether it's better for you either that all the sons of Jerobel, which are threescore and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. As Brother Tim pointed out to us, we, we kind of infer here that maybe Gideon's sons held position of leadership in the nation. We don't know that Gideon set them up that way. It might have just been through his influence they gained some of their own. Uh, we're not sure. But um, Abimelech has a plan. Evidently, he's, by the way, not included in, in any of this. That's all for the legitimate sons of Gideon. So he goes back to his hometown and said, why should these 70 guys reign over you? I mean, I'm one of your own. My mom was born and raised in this town. My grandfather lives in this town. Why don't you just make me your king? Because I'm family. Just think what family can do for you. And we see that Abimelech is desiring the position of king. But be very careful about this. Watch through the Bible. I think you'll see this to be true. Beware of people who are seeking position and power. Beware of them. Because very seldom are they ever fit for the job. Very seldom. Absalom said, I want to be king while David was still alive. Tried to overthrow the kingdom. Was Absalom fit to be king? Yes or no? Oh, not even a little bit. Um, Absalom had a younger brother named Adonijah. And when David was an elderly man in 1 Kings chapter 1, Adonijah also said, I will be king. Was Adonijah fit for the job? N not at all. Um, during the life of Christ in his ministry, the disciples were endlessly arguing over who shall be the greatest. Which one of us is going to be the boss? At that time in their lives, were any of them suited to be in charge? No. You let God do the choosing. Um, you, you, you let God put people where he wants them to be. Um, if you also study the same Bible, the people that God did choose seldom felt that they were qualified. Gideon, Abimelech's dad, didn't think he was up to the job. Uh, name somebody else that God said, I want you to lead, I want you to be in charge, who said, there's no way I can do that. Moses. Yeah, he tried to, he spent a whole chapter and a half in the Bible trying to get out of that. He just, I, I'm not eloquent. Uh, they won't follow me. Can't you find somebody else? Anybody else? 
Solomon. Solomon said, I'm, a, I'm just a child. I don't know how to go out or to come in. And you, you put me in charge of this. And yeah, anybody else? Jeremiah. Uh, God said, I've ordained you a prophet to the nations. He said, Ah, oh, Lord God, I cannot, for I cannot speak, for I am but a child. There was, all, there was a quality of humility about the people that God chose that Abimelech does not have. Absalom didn't have it. Adonijah did not have it. And again, beware of that uh, situation. So Abimelech sets himself up and the men said, yeah, let's do this. Uh, he's one of us and, and so forth. And so verse four, they gave him three score and 10 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went and he, uh, verse five, he killed his, his other brothers. The youngest of those survived, the young man by the name of Jotham. We don't know his age, but somehow he got away from the slaughter. And uh, verse seven, Jotham went to the top of Mount Gerizim. It's a mountain that overlooked this city of Shechem. And he went to the top of the mount. By the way, I've been there. I've been on that mountain. When I got there, um, it was the year 2000. My wife and I were on a trip to Israel, obviously. And uh, we could look down from the mountain. There is a modern day city. It's a town, not really what we would call a city uh, there in that spot. But you can also see the outline of the ruins of the ancient city of Shechem. In the New Testament, it was called the city of Sychar. That's where Jesus met with the woman at the well. Uh, this, this place had a long biblical, it had an ancient history. So we're up on this mountain looking down on it, and I'm immediately thinking of this story from Judges 9. On a mountain, you're looking way down there. The cars looked like little tiny toy cars. You could see them moving up and down the highways and so forth. Uh, did you ever read something in the Bible and wonder, how could that possibly be true? A anybody? That day, I was, I was almost tempted to think, oh, wait a minute. Jotham was on the top of the mountain and he gave a speech that they heard down in the city of Shechem. Our guide was a born again Israeli, Ariel ben David. And uh, we're up in the mountain. He said, I want everybody to be absolutely quiet. There was no breeze. Uh, there was nobody else up there uh, on the mountain. Uh, it is what we would call uh, like a national park type thing. Uh, there in Israel. And so we're up in the mountain and we're looking way, way down there at the Valley of Shechem. He said, I want everybody to be absolutely quiet. And we heard voices. We heard voices from down there coming up on the mountain. It is a naturally formed amphitheater. Um, and so I'm just standing up there and I'm thinking, God's word is always true. It is always true. These people down there were just talking, okay? They weren't trying to be heard at the top of the mountain. Jotham was making sure he was heard. And remember, he told them that parable. Verse eight, the trees went forth in a time to anoint a king over them. They said unto the olive tree, reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man? 
and go to be promoted over the trees? The olive tree said, no, my, my job that I already have is too important. The tree said to the fig tree, come thou and reign over us. But the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Again, said I, I my job's too important. Uh, I, I don't need that position. Verse 12, the uh, tree said unto the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, the thorn bush, the briar, come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, if in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. I think Tim made a great point last week. He said, how much of a shadow does a thorn bush make? Okay, and if you're going to get under its shadow, uh, you realize how close you have to get to it. You're going to get pricked by the thorns, aren't you? It's not going to be real comfortable position. Uh, but he goes on to say, and if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour, devour the cedars of Lebanon. I don't know if you noticed last week, the air quality in this area was bad. Um, I kept listening to the radio, especially out of... Uh, New York City, and they were talking about uh, the smoke in the air. Anybody know where that smoke came from? Came from out west with the wildfires. I was in Bible college when Mount St. Helens erupted. How many remember that one? I worked in a factory uh, second shift in Park Forest, Illinois. It was a, a southern suburb of the city of Chicago. And uh, one night while we were working, they actually shut down the assembly line and they, they said, everybody needs to go outside because we are about to witness a phenomenon. And we went out and the ash cloud from Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington was passing overhead. And, you know, we, we could see it and it would stay there. That ash cloud stayed in the air for about three years in the atmosphere, changed the weather patterns uh, uh, all over the world for a very long time. Um, uh, Jotham said in this particular prophecy, he said, if, if you don't trust in me, let fire come out of the bramble. It'll devour the cedar trees. Those wildfires out west, almost always they are started by the underbrush. Almost always. Occasionally lightning will hit a big tree and start a fire, but it's almost always the underbrush. And so Jotham gives a prophecy here about that. By the way, when the underbrush sets the woods on fire, the brambles get burned up too. Nothing really survives that kind of a thing. He says, now therefore, verse 16, if ye have done truly and sincerely in that ye have made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt well with Jerubbabel and his house and have done unto him according to the deserving of his hands, for my father fought for you and adventured his life far and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. And ye are risen up against my father's house this day and have slain his sons, threescore and ten persons upon one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his maidservant king over the men of Shechem because you, your brother, if ye have then dealt truly and sincerely with Jerobello with his house this day, then rejoice ye in Abimelech, let him also rejoice in you. If what you did was right, if what you did was a good thing, then okay, be happy with that. Let him be happy. 
Verse 20, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem in the house of Milo. Let fire come out from the men of Shechem and from the house of Milo and devour Abimelech. You're going to turn on each other. This is not going to work well at all. So Israel has their first king. He starts as the king in Shechem. And as we read through the text, it, it, it appears that his influence grew and the rest of the tribes of Israel said, yeah, having a king is not a bad thing. Uh, without a king, we just keep going through this endless cycle and these judges. And, and as long as the judge is around, we're okay. When he's dead, then we're not okay and so forth. Um, and, and so uh, Abimelech's going to have some power for a while. Verse 21, Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beir and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. When Abimelech had reigned three years over Israel, just stop for a moment there. For three years, it was paradise. Sometimes when a person goes away from the Lord, when we go away from the Lord, we're almost worried that immediately lightning's going to come down and everything's going to fall apart. We're all nervous about it for a while. But then suddenly this thought comes along, well, hey, nothing bad happened. I guess it's not that bad. I guess I'm okay. James 1 teaches this, this. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. He didn't say sin when it is started. He said sin when it is finished. So it appears that Abimelech, the men of Shechem, enjoyed three good years. Apparently, again, his influence began to grow and all Israel is coming under there. And of course, Shechem seems to be maybe the capital city. These men are at the center uh, of all the activity uh, and so forth. But verse 23, then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Um, whatsoever men soweth, that shall he also reap. You don't, go, you don't do wrong and reap right, ever. God is not mocked. And God, God saw everything that happened. God let them have their way for a while. There's no repentance from anyone here. There's been, there have been 70 men murdered on a given day uh, and so forth. And so now God sticks his finger in and God sends an evil spirit and he just starts stirring a wall between Abimelech and between the men of Shechem. And here's why God did that. Verse 24, that the cruelty done to the three score and 10 men, sons of Jerubbabel might come, their blood be laid upon Abimelech, their brother, which slew them and upon the men of Shechem, which aided him in the killing of his brethren. And the men of Shechem, set liars in wait for him in the top of the mountains. And they robbed all that came along by the way, that way by them, and it was told Abimelech. So something happened. The Bible doesn't say the details other than the fact that God just put uh, a bad spirit between Abimelech and all the men of Shechem, and they turned against him. He turned against them. Look, if you would, please, to um, verse 41, same chapter. At some point, Abimelech changed his capital city from Shechem. Verse 41, Abimelech dwelt at Aruma. Aruma is, is about nine, eight or nine miles away, um, and it was just a different place. And whether he did that because he sensed the trouble between he and 
the men of Shechem, or he just did it. Maybe it was more strategically located, easier to defend. Um, Shechem is down in the bottom of a valley. Aruma would have been a little more on the heights, much easier to defend as a capital city. Um, that might have been one of the things that made the men of Shechem angry. So they are now trying to find a way to assassinate the king that they anointed. And they have people guarding all the roads so that if Abimelech's entourage goes by, they can attack him uh, and so forth. That's what it's talking about in verse number 25. But Abimelech found out their plans and more than likely just avoided those, those roads and so forth. Verse 26, and Gaal, the son of Ebed, came with his brethren and went over to Shechem and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. They're tired of Abimelech. And so this new guy, Gael, comes along, and he's another guy uh, putting himself up uh, for the top spot, okay? Uh, they, they put confidence uh, in him. They went out into the fields, gathered their vineyards, trod the grapes, and made merry, went into the house of their God, and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. So they're having a party, a drunken Feast, if you would, please. And uh, they are just, you know, they are just bad-mouthing Abimelech, you know, all over the place. Uh, it's amazing how fickle people can be sometimes, uh, you know, and all those types of things. And so this going on, Gael, the son of Ebed, said, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? He's not talking about the city of Shechem. He's talking about the founder of it, who uh, Abimelech, apparently could uh, trace his, his lineage from. Is not he the son of Zerubbabel and Zebul, his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for why should we serve him? And he's just going off on this, this rampage. Uh, have you ever watched and listened to the politicians today as they talk about each other? I can only stomach so much of this type of thing. Uh, Gail would have been probably a nightly guest on CNN. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just sort of guessing. MSNBC and, you know, even Fox or whatever. Uh, and he's just going, by the way, he's in the safety of the walls of a city. He's surrounded by his friends. They're partying. He thinks Abimelech can't touch him uh, and, and so forth. And so he's very, very bold. Verse 29, and would to God this people were under my hand. Then would I remove Abimelech. And he said to Abimelech, increase thine army and come out. He's issuing a command. Uh, Abimelech's not there. It's just this drunken threat uh, that he's going to make. Boy, if I were king, I would take care of this thing. Verse 30, when Zebul, the ruler of the city, he is also the leader of Abimelech's army, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. He sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brethren, Become the Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now, therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early, set upon the city. Behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou shalt find occasion. So Gael's threat. Uh, gets leaked out to Abimelech. Zebul says, just bring your guys, sneak up by night, surround the city. And in the morning when they come out, you just attack. They're not expecting it. Gael's just all, he's just all talk. 
It's all words and so forth. So Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. In ancient times, the gate of the city was the courthouse. In Meriden, uh, downtown Meriden, you have the courthouse, the police station, all in one place. Wallingford up here, you just go up here on, on Main Street, and, and you have the town hall. Uh, and so forth. Uh, in ancient times, it was the gate of the city. It was a very public place. And that's where, that's where legal transactions took place. That's where trials took place. Uh, and so forth. Even in a, in a city like Jerusalem, though the king had a palace and had a throne room, oftentimes business like that was done in a particular gate, sometimes referred to, you see it in the Bible, as the king's gate and so forth. So this guy, Gail, the next morning, he's, he has no idea uh, that Abimelech uh, knows what he's done, knows the boasts and so forth that he's made about him. He's probably a little bit hungover from the party the night before. He goes out to the gate. He's holding court, okay? He is, he is establishing himself as I'm, I'm the new man uh, in town. So he goes out to the gate, uh, and the Bible says Abimelech rose up, and the people that were with him from lying in wait. They've been hiding all night long, and they get up and, and so forth. When Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountain. And Zebul said unto them, Thou seest the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. Remember, they're in Shechem, Mount Gerizim. That's the mount where Jotham issued his prophecy. So that's where Abimelech and his men are now. And they start moving down the side of the mountain. It's still cast in shadow. And um, Gael sees this movement up there. And he said, I think there's somebody coming down from the mountains here. They're not coming down any roads. They just seem to be coming out. And Zebul is putting things off. Now you're just seeing the shadows and the movement of the sun and so forth. And Gael spake again, verse 37, and said, see, there come people down by the middle of the land. Remember, there are four companies. They're coming from straight ahead on Mount Gerizim. Uh, now they're coming from one side or the other. Um, and and, and uh, Gael sees this, and another company come along by the plain of Maenaim. And he then said, Zebul unto him, Where is now thy mouth? Wherewith thou saidest, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray now, and fight with them. So Zebul just looked at him and said, time to put your money where your mouth is. You're shooting it off pretty well last night. Go show the people what you can do. And Gail's in a bad spot. I don't think he thought it was going to come to this, at, not, at least not this soon. Uh, Gail went off uh, before the men of Shechem. He had no choice. He's going to lose face if he doesn't go out. He's made his boast. So he went out um, and, and, and so forth, and many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. Abimelech is chasing Gael's men back into the city. A lot of people have been wounded. A lot of people have died. And Abimelech dwelt at Aruma. Zebul thrust out Gael and his brethren that they could, uh, should not dwell in Shechem. So the city of Shechem is, is sort of back under Abimelech's control. Um, but there, there's a grudge match going now. Verse 42, it came to pass on the morrow. The people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. 
And he took the people and divided them into three companies and laid wait in the field and looked. Behold, the people were come forth out of the city. He rose up against them and smote them. Now, it was Gael that was shooting off his mouth, but there's been trouble brewing between Abimelech and his former uh, compatriots in Shechem. And so he's just going out for revenge. Um, he, he kills them, verse 45. Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. Does anybody know why they did that? Sowed it with salt. You can't grow crops in it anymore. It, it, it just won't happen. It's, it's all done. Um, and when all the men of the, uh, the tower of Shechem heard that, they had a, a fortified uh, tower in the middle town. I think of uh, Castle Craig up on top of the hill in Meriden. Okay, it would have been a place like that. Um, the Bible says when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that, they entered into an hold of the house of the God Bareth. This God Bareth is where they made their covenant. The, uh, Baal Bareth means the God of the covenant. They made a covenant not with the God of the Bible, but with the God of Baal, one of the gods of Canaan. Um, and this is the same place where they would have made their covenant with, with this king wannabe Abimelech. And now they're running back to the place where it all started. It was told Abimelech that all the men of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. Abimelech got him up to Mount Zelman, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bough from the trees and took it and laid it on his shoulder and said unto the people that were with him, what you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. And all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech and put them to the hold and set the hold on fire upon them so that all the men of the tower of Shechem died also about a thousand men and women. So the place where their rebellion started for the men of Shechem is where it's all going to end. And it's interesting that it ended in a fire. Wasn't that Jotham's prophecy that a fire would come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon? And it's what happened. Now, if this room were, were filled, we, we had every chair out and, and, and people, if we put 300 people in here, we've actually had more than that, 300 people would make us pretty uncomfortable and packed. And that's with chairs. I have no idea how many people we could crowd in here if we didn't have chairs and furniture. But they got a thousand men and women that were all jammed in this particular tower. And uh, once, once they set the, the thing on, on fire, there's no escaping it. They, they barricaded themselves in and that became their prison and that would become their grave. And so the men of Shechem, the prophecy has come, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Story's not over though. Verse 50, then went Abimelech to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and took it. This city was nine miles or so away. All we can infer is that Thebes had sided with the men of Shechem. They were tired of Abimelech. They wanted to overthrow him as well. The Bible doesn't tell us any more about this city, 
But the fact that Abimelech attacked it means that he considered them an, a, a danger to his rule. There was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men of women, all they of the city, and shut it to them, and get up to the top of the tower. They're running to the same and only place of refuge as, as happened in the city of Shechem. Evidently at the top of the tower, maybe the, the roof was open. There was a parapet around there. And you got all these people up there and they're on top of it looking down uh, below them. How many have been up to Castle Craig? Okay. Um, I don't like high places, so I've been up there once. Okay. But, you know, when you're up there, you can see for miles and miles around. Um, and, and so these people there and they're looking down. And I'm sure Abimelech is going to do the same thing in his mind that he did at Shechem. Verse 52, Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it, went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. So these people are doomed. They're doomed just like the people of Shechem. History is repeating itself until verse 53. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head, and all to break his skull. A millstone is a heavy, round stone that they use to grind corn and grain and things like that and to turn it into flour. Uh, very, very heavy. And the Bible said she had a piece of a millstone, somehow got broken or whatever, and it's just a certain woman. She's not a soldier, okay? We, we don't know her name or anything. She's standing there looking out and sees Abimelech. I don't know if he's wearing a crown. I don't know if he was somebody that she had seen and recognized, but he's leading the way, coming to the door, and his mind, we're going to do to them what we did to Shechem. He wants to burn it down, and she's thinking, yeah, not today, and she just drops it, and, and it lands on his head. Uh, she was pretty good aim, okay? And the Bible says, then he called hastily, unto the young man, his armor bearer. In those days when a king or a commander went out to battle, they had more than one weapon that they used. They had spears, they had swords. Some of them uh, were, were proficient with bows and arrows. They had short swords, knives, daggers. Uh, they had more than one type of a shield depending on the battle and the type of terrain that they were on. So oftentimes, um, a commander, in this case the king, would have someone called an armor bearer that was just sort of there, sort of like his golf caddy. I'll have a nine iron, please. You know, something like that. Uh, so he had his armor bearer that was always ready there if the king's weapon broke to give him a new one, if the king needed something else to get it for him or whatever. So Abimelech has just gotten, gotten his skull uh, cracked by this, uh, this millstone. Evidently, he knew it came from the hand of a woman. Maybe she, maybe she called him and said, hey, Bimmy. And he looked up and saw her and she waved and dropped it. I don't know. He knew it was thrown by a woman. You'll see that in a second. He called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto them, draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. They were real big on honor and image and all of that. You know, it's one thing to get beat up by a man of war. It's another thing to get beat up by a girl, you know. And he didn't want his last note in history to be that a, that a, that a woman beat him in battle. 
So he tells his armor bearer, I, I need you to draw your sword and kill me. Evidently, he knew he wasn't going to survive the wound. Um, and he's, he's just sort of grunting out a last command. And his young men thrust him through and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. When he died, his movement died. His kingdom died. The prophecy of young Jotham has come to pass. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father in slaying his 70 brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render unto their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubel. Thus ends an extremely sad chapter. It really does. But it helps us understand the chaos that was part of Israel's life during the period of the judges. If they would have settled on the fact the Lord reigns over us and God, what do you want us to do? Things like this would not have happened. But they had decided, we don't want that. We don't want that. And so God gives us this one very, very sad chapter and we, we see very clearly demonstrated whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. We need to stop there. Uh, we have 13 minutes before the morning service. Greet one another. If you see anybody that you don't know, go out of your way to make them feel at home and you are dismissed.